I reminisce for a spell, or shall I say think back? 22 years ago to keep it on track. The birth of a child on the 8th of October. A toast, but my granddaddy came sober. Count all the fingers and the toes, now I suppose you hope the little black boy grows. Welcome to episode 16 of the Setting the Edge podcast. I'm Just Mosqueda, Mr. Blue Snapchat Arrow. I'm here with my co-host Charles McDonald, Mr. Green Text, Captain Green Text. Say what's up to the people, Cap. What's up to the good people? We're ready to talk uh, about some free agency news. Carolina messed up. They're trying to Carolina kill. did a lot of dumb stuff. Yeah, they're trying to kill Cam Newton, I think. Yeah, so they gave uh, they gave Matt Khalil all this money to play with Ryan Khalil, even though Matt Khalil is not good, hasn't been good since his rookie year. Yeah, yeah. So he's he hasn't been good in three three years. I want to say three years, four years. I don't even remember when he got drafted, but he. Yeah, I can't remember if he was a fifth year, if he had his fifth year option picked up or not. I no, assume no, not. He did not. Yeah, so he hasn't been good in three years. Uh, that's real bad. And, like, Mike Remmers is gone. Uh, Michael Orr is, like, not a thing. Like, Michael Orr is still in the concussion protocol, and he had his concussion, like, five months ago. That dude's not playing again. Um, so that's a real interesting situation. And then they basically were, like, everyone – like, I remember early on in the season where people were, like – I think it was, like – I think it was, like, the first five games of the year, and their starting defensive line had, like – Four, like three sacks combined because i remember there was like that yeah. Kwan short low back remember where it was like well it was cool did Kwan short just have a one-year wonder and that kind of caught up at the end and like evened out um but they were basically like hey your pass rush right now is like mario addison Wes horton and charles uh charles johnson and they were like yep resign all of them and load up like charles johnson got a like a uh he went from like a one-year three million dollar contract to getting a raise and had like I think it's a two or three year deal too. So it's like he got an extension. Like a, they invested in him after his last year, and that was a liability for him. And then basically the only dude that they brought in was like Julius Peppers, and then they signed the other Charles Johnson at receiver after they lost Ted Ginn. So yeah, I really it, have no idea what's going on in Carolina. It's like they they walked into free agency and said, "How can we make the slowest, most fragile team possible?" All right, here's what we're gonna do. <laughs> We're going to resign. And old. Oldest and old. too. Yeah. Oldest, slowest, fragile team possible. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to re-sign Fozzie Whitaker. We're going to re-sign Charles Johnson. We're going to sign Mike Adams, safety from the Colts, who might run like a 5-2-40. We're going to sign Julius Peppers again. And then they re- then they sign Matt Khalil, who might play like four games for them next season because he's always hurt. And then Charles Johnson. So I just – they don't have a plan right now. And – like usually you know even if it's not even if it doesn't always come to fruition most teams get better on paper as they move through the early portion of the offseason i think the panthers are probably the only team that's gotten notably worse through adding players like (laughs) (laughs) you know well i mean mike glennon signed with the chicago bears yeah he did but i mean how do you how can you justify giving matt khalil 25 million guaranteed and 55 in total and, you know, when he does play, he's awful and he's usually out. And Charles Johnson was supposed to be, you know, a breakout guy two years ago and, and he can't separate from me or you in coverage. I, I just, I don't get what they're doing on offense. And, you know, it's, it's just another year where Cam is going to have to be superhero again just to even get, you know, two or three touchdowns on the board versus an average defense. So, sorry, yeah. Panthers fans. That's a mess. And like you talk about like the guaranteed money is a big thing because guaranteed money basically decides when you can get out of a contract. Right. Yeah. Um, so he got twenty five million dollars. There's plenty of videos of Nick Perry uh, just ruining Matt Khalil's life. And I think Nick Perry got eighteen and a half guaranteed. And he was like edge one on the market, basically. So that that's just kind of insane to me. So, yeah. So if, if you go and watch that, uh. The Vikings-Titans game, week one last season, the third play of the game, Jarrell Casey just dominates Matt Khalil on a pass rush and throws him right into the lap of uh, Sean Hill. And, man, I, I just can't believe that they gave him all that money. Like, like did they watch the tape or was his brother like, yeah, he's good. Let's, let's get this done. Yeah, th- I don't know, man. That's, that's super weird. 
Yeah, another team that gave big money to offensive linemen, the Minnesota Vikings, when they signed right. Mike Remmers and Riley Reef. Yep. Riley Reef was basically so Riley Reef got kicked from left tackle to right tackle last year <clears throat> because the team drafted Taylor Decker in the first round. Uh he was a good right he was a really good right tackle actually. Um he's a like probably below average left tackle. But like you're, he, he's he's a passable left tackle. You know what I mean? Like yeah. below average, like it, it's fine. He he's a left tackle. Like you can play at left tackle. Um, he uh, he signed a five year eighty or fifty eight point seven five million dollar deal, and then Remmers, who I mean got the crap beat out of him by Von Miller in the Super Bowl a couple years ago, uh, signed a five year thirty million dollar deal. I don't think that's a bad tackle pairing. I just think that that's kind of a weird. Like those guys. Have both been criticized. Right, Reef criticized at left tackle, and Remmers criticized at right tackle. And they're now like, I think, uh, who is it? Reef is the eighth highest paid left tackle in football, and Remmers is the ninth highest paid right tackle in football. So that's kind of odd. But I mean, Minnesota's checking boxes. I mean, this team really had no other option because they don't have a first round pick. So, and there's not very many offensive linemen. So it's like either you have to package up picks and move up in the first round to get someone like Garrett Bo- Garrett Bowles, right, out of Utah. Or you were going to have to go sign two offensive tackles, and that's what they did. Yeah, and I mean, even if they they overpaid, it's still a massive upgrade over what they had last year because I they mean, legitimately like that team imploded because of their offensive tackle situation. Like, there's no way around. Like, people were talking about that team. Like, it was it was Dallas and Minnesota. That was the conversation early on in the year. It's Dallas and Minnesota in the NFC. And that team just like the wheels just came off, man. And once once you're once you're like marked that way, like it's done for you. This is what I talked about when I was trying to explain about like football being like an ecosystem, right? Yeah. Or it's like if one thing fails, man, like there's no answer for it. Like when Jared Goff can't throw against the blitz, all you're gonna see is blitzes, and blitzes mean that you're able to do run blitzes too. So that hurts everything. It's the same thing with the offensive line situation. It was like, man, why would we ever rush more than four when you guys have this? And it's like, okay, check down with Sam Bradford. Good luck trying to win. Get over 500 that way. Yeah, and I mean, last year, TJ Clemens, he, he's, I think we can safely say he's not an NFL caliber player, right? No. Because, I mean, that dude is just getting roasted by backup defensive ends and can't run block. It's, it's just a disaster. So, you know, this was a necessary move on the Vikings part. And hopefully those two can stay healthy because I, I, I mean, I went back and watched some of, uh, you know, some of the tape just kind of going through the, before our free agency previews. And I, I think Sam Bradford played better than given credit for last season, especially when you just look at what happened around him. They couldn't run the ball. They couldn't pass block. And Charles hate Fahey. Charles Fahey in the in the court. Uh, I'm not I'm not saying he's the fifth best quarterback <laughs> in the NFL. I'm just saying I, I think I think he played well given the circumstances. So maybe that's a team that can improve on offense because I mean they can't really yeah. be any worse than they were last year. So another team, let's say in the NFC North, the Lions. They have put big money into their offensive line as well with TJ yeah. Lang and Ricky Wagner from Baltimore. Yeah. Check the boxes. I don't, I don't have that much to say about this one. Um, that I mean, that's a good move. I mean, I hate to see TJ Lane go. Like, that kind of sucks. But uh, I understand it from both sides. Because it sounds like he got a significant amount of guaranteed money, too. I haven't uh, seen he, money. Uh, I'll look it up right now. Um, but, like, he, he was a guy who there were health questions about him. Uh, Green Bay is kind of like plug and play. With, like, they lost Josh Sitton last year, and they replaced him with a guy named Lane Taylor who no one knew. And uh, like that worked out totally fine, you know what I mean? So yeah. I think I think their situation is more like, look, we have three guys, and these three guys again are going to go against two interior guys. So we're not really worried about that situation. And with the tackles that Green Bay has, I think they just want to load them up. But I would say Green Bay has the best tackle pairing in the league outside of uh, Jason Peters and uh, uh, Lane Johnson when he's not on steroids. When he's not on steroids. Yeah, I mean, I I, I like the. Uh little trio of uh taylor decker tj lang and, and ricky wagner that that's a nice little offensive line and then travis swanson before he uh got hit with a concussion he was he was playing pretty well too so if if yeah. lake and tomlinson can not be a bum and kind of live up to that first round status that that's one of the better offensive lines in the league but even just having you know decker lang and and reef is a nice little is a start and you know I we should like- talk about new orleans 
We should talk about New Orleans' offensive line because they just added Larry Warford. So left to right, right, it's Teron Armstead, Andres Pete, Max Unger, Larry Warford, and Zach Streif. And then, like, they traded away Brandon Cooks and then immediately replaced him in that speed receiver spot with uh, Ted, Ginn. Ted Ginn. So, like, that team's – we like, people talk about Jacksonville, and it's like there's – like, they can't pick a defensive player at the top of the draft because there's just, like, no hole for them to plug. It's the same thing with, like, New Orleans and offense. Like, it's hard to figure out how a rookie is going to contribute on this team. Yeah, I, I don't I I just feel like that 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 defense still just sucks though, you know. Oh, New Orleans for sure. Yeah. They got to load. They have to load up on defensive players. That's the thing now. It's like you got two first round picks. Those both of those are going on defense. Yeah, they have to. Um, what do you like? I, I mean, I I, I kind of like the Warford signing. I don't know how good he is. Like, but yeah, he, he has to be an upgrade over what they had last year. So I mean, that's a, that's a. If if P can continue to improve at left guard, I I think that's a nice offensive line because I think I think Streif is pretty underrated. And Teron Armstead when he's healthy is a is a monster. Right, um, and Unger Unger was moved for uh, Jimmy Graham. Like yeah. Unger, like people really don't talk about Unger like that, and he kind of had some up and down right after that trade too. Uh, but I mean, I t- I t- like he's an NFL center, so like that offensive line is totally loaded. Like you you roll out those five, you really don't have to have a tight end help you block at all. Yeah, and another team that reloaded the offensive line and has had an interesting week, the Cleveland Browns, when they signed Kevin Zeitler and uh, Kevin Zeitler from Cincinnati and then J.C. Treader from the Packers to kind of shore up. Right. And then they gave big money to Joel Batonio. So, you know, they have right. three big contracts, or four if you want to include Joe Thomas, four big contracts in the offensive line. And, you know, if that if those guys could stay healthy, Batonio especially, that's that's a really nice-looking offensive line. Yeah. That's a super good offensive line. The one thing that's weird is like uh, Cameron Irving was drafted in the first round of 2015, and there is no place for him to play right now unless they think he's going to compete at right tackle. And Cameron Irving, you were around draft Twitter for Cameron Irving, yeah, right? Yeah, I can't remember. Yeah. So like Cameron Irving was a dude who came into the year. He was at Florida State. He came into the year, the championships, uh, not the championship season, the season that they lost to Oregon, I want to say. Yeah. Um, he came into the year as like a projected first round pick. Uh, everyone watched him and was like, what the hell are you guys talking about? This doesn't make sense. Um, he ended up being like dropping down to like UDFA status, right? Where everyone was like, dude, this dude cannot play for anything. Uh, then he, I can't remember if he switched to center in season or if it, it was, was just at the senior bowl. It was after the, uh, after Vic killed him in the Clemson game. Yeah. They, oh, they, God. they moved him inside to uh, center, I think. Yeah. And so then, he got hype at center. And then was picked in the first round for playing half a season of center and showing out at the senior bowl, which is fine. Um, but he's been switching like guard center. I think at the end of the year, he started practicing at right tackle. Uh, but like that's a that's that's a dude who you have for two more years on a contract. And there's no place for him to play other than compete at right tackle. And I don't think that situation is going to like that's not going to go good unless you're kicking like Batonio out to right tackle and you kick him into guard. But then that's that's a lot of moving pieces for a young offensive line. Yeah, and you're not going to move Joel Petonio for for Cam Irving. That doesn't make any no. sense. No. Yeah. But I, I I mean it seems like they're gearing up to to take a quarterback this year because you've solidified yep. the offensive line. You re, you signed Kenny Britt to pair with uh, Corey Coleman. You've got the two good backs. So really, all they're missing is a quarterback. So I mean, I I think they're going to go Miles Garrett at one, but it'll be interesting to see if they trade up from 12 to get back into the top 10 and, and kind of solidify the chance to get their guy. And another interesting thing they did was the Brock Osweiler trade, right. which was kind of, you know, just, they just bought a second round pick from the, <laughs> from the Texans. And not a bad way, not a bad way to get over the, uh, not a bad way to get over like, what is it? This, the salary floor yeah, the or whatever sal- the salary floor. So, I mean, when, when they, they came into free agency with over a hundred million dollars in cap space and even with the big contracts, even to Betonio and Britt and, uh, Treader and, uh, Zeitler, you they still had a ways to go to get to the, the cap floor. So, Making that trade for Brock Osweiler when you have just infinite money, you you can kind of dump it anywhere to get that second round pick. That was kind of nice, and that usually I don't think we've ever really seen something like this. No, at the NFL level, it happens in, in basketball all the time. But to just kind of buy a first round pick for uh, uh, from the Texans was was really interesting. And what I, what I think what what else I think is kind of crazy is like how this story is being covered because I think a lot of old people 
I mean, Bill Polian was just having a nice, <laughs> Bill Polian. Bill, Bill Polian had like remember when like Marco Rubio just like it looked like he skipped right like yeah. it was like the robot like the machine in his brain just started skipping the record started skipping like that's what happened to Bill Polian on national television this week. Yeah, yeah. I mean, people because because I was listening to NFL radio this week and I think it was Pat Kerwin like he was going off about you know. Uh, Brock Osweiler can't play. Like, I can't believe the Browns would make this move. I'm like, they don't want Brock Osweiler. They just wanted the pick. And they have the money, they have or they have the cap space to take on that contract. So I don't I don't get why this is so hard to, you know, I guess for the older generation of, of football viewers to, to understand. Well, this is what people talk about when they're like, the NFL is like, how we talk about the NFL isn't fun anymore because a lot of it's just like contract base and it's numbers and things like that. And it's like, well, that's what that's what matters. Like talent, yeah. talent can only get you so far in the NFL. Like if it, it it doesn't matter how talented your team is, it matters like how 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 should we how should I put this? Uh, how talented someone is relative to their contract, right. basically. It's and it's like, value. oh, that kind of sucks, and that's not as fun. But that's reality. Sorry. And you know that that's what uh, Dan Lebetard says. Like when he talks about the Patriots, how. You know, I guess before this past week, how they didn't have a single overplay, overpaid player on their roster. And when you have all those guys who are playing at a good value, you can keep adding guys who are going to play well. And I guess, like, if you have an eye for talent like Belichick does, and you can just kind of keep churning out a system like that. But, you know. About, but Belichick traded for Coney Ely, so he might have lost it. Yeah, he might have lost it. But I, 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 just, I just think it's so cool to kind of see the Texans and the Browns be like, or the Texans especially be like, yo, we messed up here. Take, like, <laughs> we, we, we did bad. We, we did know bad. We know it, it was a, you know, franchise. It could have been a franchise changing mistake. And the Browns were like, hey, well, if you don't mind being a little shameless, we'll take him off your hands for a second round pick. And the Texans were like, well, we see Tony Romo's, Tony, Tony Romo's about to be on the market. So that might be a move that would be smart for us to make. And right. I, I I thought it was cool to see the Texans just kind of give up on a on a mistake after one season because I feel like you see a lot of teams just wait it out and see if they can get it to work. But the Texans are like, nope, we're done here. Browns will take our take our guy if we give him a pick. That sounds like a good deal to us, and they pull the trigger on it. Yeah. So if they don't land Tony Romo, like Tom Savage is about to start for that team week one. Yeah, I mean, it's still better off than they were last year. Yeah. Well, Tom Savage was a starter in Houston for like a week and a half and then he got hurt and then they're like yeah we'll just ride with Brock yeah and then I mean like if they had even semi-competent quarterback play in that divisional game they were probably going to beat the Patriots but Brock just imploded in the second half I think he had like three picks in the third quarter so I I, it's really easy to get why they were they were done with him shout out to Rick Smith for saving his job right there I saw someone said that the Browns have more have more picks in the second round than uh, Brock Osweiler had in the playoffs against the Patriots. I thought that was pretty funny. <laughs> uh, two two more things that are kind of under the radar free agency. Uh, Buffalo. People don't understand that Buffalo kind of like people really don't talk about the Buffalo Bills. And when they do, it's like Tyrod Taylor. Right. And that's yeah. totally understandable because that was a huge deal. Um, but uh, Robert Woods signed with the Los Angeles Rams. Five year, uh, $39 million contract. And then uh, Marquise Goodwin signed a two year, $8 million deal with the San Francisco 49ers on the surface level. You're like, who really cares? Like these are mid-level receivers, like guys who should be competing for second and third spots. Right. Um, That's totally fine until you realize that Sammy Watkins had 28 receptions last year. And that the only other receiver on the roster who had receptions was Walter Powell. And the only other receiver on the roster other than Walter Powell is a guy named Desmond Lewis, who's never caught a pass in the NFL. So this team has two, uh, has three receivers who combined for 42 receptions last year on their roster, and that's all they have. So that team's got a draft receiver high. Yeah, Corey Davis, welcome to Buffalo. Uh, right? Like, I don't <laughs> – like, that That makes a lot of sense, man. That it, makes a lot of sense. It does. And, I mean, you got the quarterback in place, but they got they got holes to fill on defense too because they just left – they lost Stephon Gilmore, and that defense was pretty pretty horrible last season. So, I mean, it'll – I think they, they got a good receiver just because, you know, you did – decide to keep the quarterback on the on the contract that wasn't I mean relatively compared to other quarterback contracts is not big but for some reason they were freaking freaking out losing their minds over so I think you want to give that guy 
another weapon. And I mean, the free agency market is looking pretty thin at receiver right now. So I, I would guess that what are they pick tenth? Something. Yeah, that's, that's yeah. gonna have to. be. I think so. Like ninth or tenth, somewhere around there. That's gonna have USC. to be an offensive player. Yeah. Oh, uh, more receivers. Uh, Deshaun signed with Tampa. Uh, I don't really have anything to say about that. Uh, hopefully that will give Jameis Winston some ammo so he's not second in the NFL in turnovers next year. Um, and the Philadelphia Eagles signed two guys in Alshon Jeffrey and Torrey Smith, which, like, you look at that. So you think Torrey Smith, Alshon Jeffrey, Jordan Matthews is at least, like, he's worth being, like, a top three receiver on the field. Like, whatever you think of Jordan Matthews, like, yeah. hater, love, whatever. Like, there's people are weird about Jordan Matthews because a lot of people had a lot of strong opinions about him coming into the draft, right? Um, but, like, he's, he's a, like, he should be on the field in three receiver sets. And then you have Dorio Green-Beckham, who the team traded for last yeah, offseason. He's terrible. He's not good, but Nelson Aguilar, this staff didn't get him. And those are four guys that the team is basically invested in. Like this staff has invested in or, you know, liked to keep on the field. Nelson Aguilar was a first round pick in 2015, like Cameron Irvin was. And like, yo, that could get real bad for him. Because like, what was it? Uh, against Green Bay, he was a healthy scratch Yeah. at the end of last season. So like, is that a guy you, someone's going to trade? Or I don't know what the hell is going to happen there. But like Nelson Aguilar, like stock down after this week like i don't think this team believes in him at all i mean they they, they don't really have a reason to but kind of going back to uh going back to tampa bay they signed uh chris baker from washington for right three years uh 15 million dollars that's now, cheap dude yeah and I'll, like i thought i thought that was super cheap yeah when you look at at the other uh you know some of the other defensive tackle contracts especially the ones that the one that Washington gave, Washington gave Stacey McGee from Oakland uh, five years, $25 million, and they gave uh, Terrell McLean from Dallas four years, 21 So, I mean, maybe they just didn't want – maybe Chris Baker just didn't want anything to do with that organization anymore because of the dysfunction, <laughs> putting it lightly at the top. But yeah. but Baker got about $5 million per year. Nick Fairley got seven million per year, and then Brandon Williams from Baltimore just blew him all out of the water with that contract. He got five years, fifty-four million dollars. And look, if you can get a guy like Chris Baker for five million a year, that's easy, that's easy a, decision, easy decision. I mean, for easy. the value, that might be the best contract of of the offseason so far. Yeah, I mean, I think we're both guys who like when we started watching, when we started doing the NFL One Thousand work, right? And you're yeah. seeing every team every week. Uh, that's when like I really didn't like I didn't have an opinion on Chris Baker Neither before the I. season, and then like I start watching him, and I'm like, I think he mu- he must have been like a top. I think he might have only been behind Mike Daniels and uh and Calais Campbell for my rankings in the NFC. I only watch the NFC, uh, the defensive ends, uh, forty or uh, thirty four defensive ends. So, um, that's an incredible steal. I mean, William Golston signed five years, twenty seven and a half million, so he's getting paid five and a half a year, and Chris Baker's getting paid five, and there's no like. William Golston? William Golston. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, Baker and uh, Chris Baker and Gerald McCoy. That's a, I mean, that, that's, that's, that's a hell call. of an interior, man. Yeah. And like you said, I, I didn't, re- I had, I didn't really, really know who Chris Baker was until uh, we started watching the games for NFL 1000. Every week, I was like, yo, this dude just keeps jumping <laughs> on the screen and making plays. Yo, this dude doesn't, he's so consistent. He's yeah. so consistent. And, like I, I think he's a versatile guy. He can play, you know, one or three. And I like, I liked him a lot. Like when Washington had their, uh, you know, with their twist game and their slants and uh, right. other blitz packages like that. So I, I think that's going to be a great signing for Tampa. Tampa quietly got a lot better this mm-hmm. season. I mean, and we haven't even hit the draft yet. And another team that has put some big money into the defensive line, the Jacksonville Jaguars. Yep. Calais Campbell. There was weird stuff going with Calais Campbell at the end because they were like, he signed with Jacksonville. Actually, Denver is making a late push. Actually, actually, he signed with Jacksonville. So like, oh, okay, cool. Yeah, that. I mean, I, I guess it means they're going to st- stick with the same defense that they were in last year and kind of have Calais Campbell yeah. be that big role playing next to Malik Jackson at three. But that's a lot of money that they just put back to back years. First Malik Jackson, then uh, Campbell this year. So. Right. Now Jacksonville, they they've signed two defensive linemen. They have they signed Barry. They Church. signed Bouye. Bouye got just got the biggest contract, right? Yeah, Bouye, I think it's awesome. Bouye got a big contract. They signed Barry Church. So I mean, the defense looks set for next season. Right. Are they going to take a quarterback at four? Because I mean, yeah. 
it just it just makes sense for them. I mean, it makes sense for them too, but I don't know if they should or if right. they would. I don't I don't see that's 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 the conversation that I think we can have is will they? Because that would basically be Caldwell being like, I missed on a first round pick. I missed on a top five quarterback, and I have no. Uh, I don't think there's a long list of guys who have replaced top five quarterbacks who keep their job at general manager. So uh, I mean, job security wise, I, I think he's like, I'm betting on Bortles. But the, I don't know what kind of pull Tom Coughlin has because I don't think Tom, Tom Coughlin, Mr. You got to be here five minutes early to be on time. Uh, I, I, I feel like he won't get along with Blake Bortles very well. I'll just say that. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, from from all reports, like when, when Coughlin got hired, they kind of just put the the train wheels back on on Caldwell and said, like, "All right, you go sit in the corner and we'll let the let the big boys do some work." So, like, I think Coughlin's pretty much been pulling the strings for this off season. And if they're in the running, if they're interested in acquiring Tony Romo, which would never happen because why would Tony Romo go to Jacksonville? Tony Romo wouldn't sign with Jacksonville. Yeah. No, uh, I mean that makes me think they're probably in the market for an upgrade. And if you're not, if you're going to miss on Tony Romo, why not just take a quarterback at four? Makes sense. It makes sense. Like I can't really complain about it. Like I just don't know. I I don't think I don't think the staff has the balls. No. I'll say it. I'll say it. I'll be the person to say it. I don't think the staff has the balls to admit that they missed on Blake Bortles. So I mean, it's it's just very very apparent. Uh, let's see. Any other any other big? Indianapolis invested forty million dollars or forty one million dollars in pass rushers who were all backups last year. Yeah, but I mean that that's better than what they had. Uh, yeah, the weird thing – I want to see what Eric Walden's going to sign for because that dude had double-digit sacks, and I have no idea what you do with him. Uh, Lorenzo Alexander signed. Shouts to Lorenzo Alexander who called me out on Twitter for uh, – yeah, I, I probably deserved it. <laughs> probably. You, you you deserve any hate you get. He said, he said his agent was like, we're looking for like six to eight – or what is like seven to ten million dollars per year, and I was like, "What the hell are you talking about?" This is Lorenzo Alexander, he just comes in with like eye emojis. I was like, "Oh crap!" And then he signed for six million dollars a year, so I was right. Yeah, I mean that, that's that's a nice little come up for him because that's a guy who's played a lot of positions. Mr. Special Teams, yeah, yeah. Mr. Two Time Pro Bowl Special Teamer. All right, any other any anything else that's interesting that we needed to get to before we kick it to this interview with uh, Marcus Grant? Uh, we got to get AP. Oh, we do have to get AP. We have to get AP. I'll, I'll, so, shout to you guys for uh, Danny Kelly told us to get Kyle Posey after we got Danny, Danny Kelly. Uh, KP wants us to get Andrew Parsons, and Andrew Parsons does not listen to this podcast. So, okay, yeah. uh, we should I, be able I, to sneak up on him. Yeah, I, I thought about this uh, beforehand. So, his. his <laughs> I'm uh, glad one of us did. Yeah. His Twitter handle is at AP underscore IDGT. And I don't get tired. Yeah, I don't get tired. That Kevin Gates song. And so what I need you to ask him is, should the Falcons take Brad Kaya at pick 31? At AP underscore IDGT, should the, pa- should the Falcons take Brad Kaya at pick 31? No one snitch. Leave no don't, – don't leave any signs that it came from us. He'll yeah. figure it out anyway. Everyone's figured out that we're the, the lovable troublemakers on Twitter. Yeah. Um, but leave, don't snitch. Don't snitch. All right. So one last time. At AP underscore IDGT, should the Falcons take Brad Kaya at pick number 31? All right. So, All now, right, so we're going to go kick it to uh, Marcus Grant from NFL Media, fantasy guy. Yeah. He's, he's got some takes on offensive skill players, and we need to talk about this amazing movie, Get Out, that just came out recently. So we'll be Spoiler right. alert. Spoiler alert. Oh, yeah. So if you, if you haven't seen it, cut it off now. But – it's a fantastic. Just, movie. just don't listen to this podcast. Unsubscribe. All that if you haven't seen Get Out yet. Um, also, we're doing we're we're doing numbers. We're catching up to Josh Norris's podcast, and he name dropped us on his podcast. So this is war now. Oh yeah, yeah. You gotta. Yes. So everyone, you gotta review five star only. Right? We gotta beat Josh Norris. We already beat Peter King. We're better than Peter King. We're higher up on the totem pole than Peter King. We gotta beat Josh Norris now because he likes to flaunt around that. I've I've had a one million listens. Uh, throw that around like it's super casual. So we're gonna try to beat him off of like a sound. We're getting like SoundCloud like two two thousand listens a week. Yeah, we gotta beat him. I want to hurt his pride. I want to hurt Josh Norris's pride. Let's do this. All right, you heard the man. So iTunes, uh, five star review. Get AP, and now we're going to kick it to Marcus Green. <laughs>
with our guest, Marcus Grant. You can find him on Twitter at Marcus G. Somehow he got in real early on that handle uh, from NFL Network. Say what's up to the people, Marcus. What's going on, guys? I'm glad, I'm glad to be on. I was telling Chuck before we started, um, I'm, I'm glad that you guys put a space between me and Miko because like, I, could, I couldn't handle coming right after that. <laughs> yeah, that, w- that was one of our uh, more popular episodes. That, that one blew up. Cool. <laughs> yeah, I can see how. I can see how. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, let's start this off without football. We, I think we've all seen Get Out, right? Right. Uh, yeah. Okay. Let's talk about that movie, Justice. What was I was the, I was the I'm I'm Mexican, right? So I'm not I'm not a black dude. Um, I'm Mexican. <laughs> I was the only I was the only non-white person in the theater when I watched it, and I feel like I laughed hard at a couple points. And like got people looking at me, and I was like, oh shit. Um, it was is bro. There's a lot of a lot of the shit like early on in the movie is fucking hilarious to me because that shit for sure happens. Just white people misbehaving, just like not knowing how to interact and like be cool at all. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Right. Well, it started off, it started as kind of funny, like, ha ha, you know, like when he's, uh, you know, the dad is talking about, you know, his dad losing to Jesse Owens, and you're like, ha ha ha. And then, like, after a while, it's just like, it got so uncomfortable. Like, I, I know. Was, I just, like, you know, like, they just, you know, all these people, like, and it's like, you know, supposedly they're trying to interact and they're trying to make him feel comfortable, and the whole time you just feel worse. And, like, I just, all I wanted was for him to go home. Just, just, dude, just go <laughs> home, man. Just, just get in the car or call an Uber or something, and just, just get the hell out of there, dude. Because I felt, I felt that to me, that was the scariest part of the movie. That was scarier than all the other <laughs> stuff that happened at the end. It was just like, man, these white people are gonna do something to him, and I, just, and he can't escape because his girl is there. Like I just, I just wanted him to leave so bad. Yeah, it was so fu- like, I, like I feel like every minority has been in the situations where he's been in like mm-hmm. early in the movie that the part where uh i think it was her grandma like came up and started like feeling his biceps like oh this is a good one i was like oh, <laughs> oh man yeah. like yeah. i was like that is so relatable but uh, yeah i mean like you know they ask him like do you do you play golf and he's like no i'm not good he's like i played once i'm not good at it and the dude's like yeah tiger woods is great he, like <laughs> what <laughs> what? <laughs> what every black person idolizes tiger woods it's just so funny because it was like a parody of like white liberalism, I guess, like the first 40 minutes of it where, you know, like they're, they want to be inclusive and make them feel wanted, but they were just doing stuff that, you know, kind of separated themselves from, uh, from, uh, from him. Right. Well, the thing trying about too it, hard, man. Just trying too it hard. It was definitely trying too hard. And I thought the part of, you know, like, so at some point during that weird party, He's talking to uh, the blind guy, uh, you know, Stephen Root's character, and he says, like, you know, he's like, hey, they're all they're all kind of ignorant, but they all mean well. Yeah. And and that's that's the part that's true. It's like, yeah, it's not meant to be offensive. It's not meant to try to make you feel out of place. But at some point, it's it's all awkward. And for him to be in that situation, like he's outnumbered. Like he is essentially the only black person there. I mean, there was the other dude there, but he was already brainwashed at that point. So he's the only black person there. So he's outnumbered. So you can't, you can't just while out and say like, "Hey, man, leave me alone," or "Don't say this" or anything like that. Like you got to kind of keep it under wraps because it's it's hard enough meeting your girl's parents in the first place. But yeah. now you're in this really awkward racial situation. So you got to just you just got to keep it under wraps. And so by not saying anything, it kind of gives the impression that everything's cool that it's all right to go up and grab the dude's biceps or ask like, Hey, can I touch your hair or, you know, stuff like that. It just makes it weird. And so it's, that's why I felt so uncomfortable because he had to walk that line between really just wanting to just like act out and say some shit or just like cool because like he didn't want to make a bad impression in front of his girlfriend's parents. Yeah. That was, that was a fantastic movie. I didn't know that Jordan Peele, like had that in him that was great and at the I end know. when the when the cop car came up i thought they were just going to shoot him on site and then it turned out to be his friend his boy yeah yeah, yeah i thought it's bro that, char- that that's the best character that's yeah. the best character in the movie this is homie rod was dope rod was dope and i honestly as soon as as soon as he got out of the house and like he's leaving a trail of dead people in his wake and he's got blood all over him before the yeah. before the siren showed up i just said i was like He's going to jail. Like, that's how this movie ends. Like, he goes to jail. Like, he got out of the house, and then he goes to prison. So, sorry about your luck. So, when his boy showed up, I, just, <laughs> I exhaled. Like, I hadn't exhaled in a long time. Yeah. Man. 
I was like, God damn it, they're about to kill him, and then every I'm just gonna be sad for the rest of the day. But we had a, a I wa- happy. Ending. I walked out of the movie theater and I told my girl if she ever like struggles to find her keys, like I'm just leaving the room. Like, I'm, <laughs> that's just something I'm not gonna deal with from this point forward. No way. All right, well let's uh, let's segue into football talks. So now we're what about six, seven weeks out from the draft, and Marcus, being a fantasy guy for NFL.com, has watched some of the offensive skill players. So let's jump into these questions. Uh. The first one for my good pal Benetton at the Benetton. How much does Dalvin Cook's combine affect his draft stock? It's gonna hurt. It's definitely gonna hurt, and it 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 kind of crushed my soul a little bit because I went into the combine really loving Dalvin Cook, and um, I know when I say that, you know, I'm sure some people on Twitter are gonna take this binary option that means that you know because I like Dalvin Cook, I hate Leonard Fournette, which isn't true. I like I like Fournette a lot, dude's a beast, but I thought Cook had a better all around game. Um, so seeing his scores at the combine, seeing that he tested poorly, it, it definitely hurt and he's going to get knocked down a few spots, uh, undoubtedly, you know, um, but I think, I still think his skill set really lends himself to, to being that kind of all around guy. I don't, I don't think there are a lot of three back, three down backs in this draft. Um, I don't think there are a lot of three, the way the NFL works now, there just aren't a lot of three down backs out there, period. But I still think he's a guy because he can be effective as a runner, because he can do so many things out of the backfield, because he can be kind of a bruising back. Um, I still think he, I still think he goes pretty high. I think the one thing that frustrates me watching him is that he plays smaller than his size. I mean, he plays like he wants to be more of a scat back when I think he could be more of a physical runner if he wanted to. He just doesn't. But I still think his his overall skills are such that he'll be all right. Yeah, it's just interesting because I don't really know how to value the combine for running back sometimes because you still have guys who don't perform well. Like another Florida State guy, Devonta Freeman, like if you go to mockdraftable.com and look at his web, it looks like, like a period. So... <laughs> I mean, and this is a guy who's had two great years back to back. And so that's that's kind of what I struggle with. Like, how much am I supposed to value the combine for running backs when I've seen this guy like just go off week after week after week in the ACC? I think yeah. running backs almost like linebacker a little bit, because like if you this is what people talk about when I try to like explain why certain combine numbers work for certain positions. And I'm like the 10 matters a lot for like pass rushers. And the reason is you're in a stance and you're exploding off the ball like running backs. You could take a you could. Find me a play where a running back is going full throttle from the moment that the ball is snapped. Because that's not – they don't take handoffs like that. You know what I mean? Like it's a lot of patience. It's a lot – so like certain, number, certain numbers like that, they just don't make sense to me why they would matter at all. Right. And we'll see. But I think you, you contrast a guy like Dalvin Cook who had a poor combine but has really good tape with a guy like Alvin Kamara, whose tape is kind of questionable, but dude blew it up in Indy. I mean, you know, he had, what, the top spark score, I think, of all the running backs there. Uh, really just put on a show at the workout. But I look at Alvin Kamara, and I say that, you know, even after Jalen Hurd left Tennessee, nothing about him, nothing about his tape suggested that the volunteers were sold on him as being a workhorse every down back. So if if they weren't sold on it, how am I supposed to get sold on it at the next level? But, again, his, his combine as such – that dude is getting hyped and, you know, may sneak into the first round. I even heard a rumor that he may be the number one running back on some team's board right now, which is insane to me. But yeah. this, this is where we are. Yeah, the Kamar hype uh-huh. is so weird because, like, you don't really see guys who don't carry an offense like that get hyped up into, you know, RB1 first round status. But I, I think it was what our, our good pal Josh Norris who said that one team had him as RB1 and don't be surprised if yeah. he sneaks into the first round. So. That would be wild to me, but, I mean, NFL teams get catfished every day, B. (laughs) (laughs) Were you about to say justice? Uh, Nothing really. I mean, I'm not a Kamara fan. Uh, Someone someone tweeted out something, I think, yesterday or today, where it was, like, uh, basically just the raw numbers of every first-round running back that's been drafted in, I think it was, like, since 2007 or 2008 or something like that. And Kamara had, like, half of the carries that, like, all these other running backs had. And it's yeah, like, I know, he's not even that good. Like, he's legit yeah. not even that good. I know J.J. Zacharyson uh, wrote about it, too, that he was talking about basically guys and their, their you know, share of the offense of the running game at their schools. And, like, generally there's no – there hasn't been anybody – with as small a, a share of the offense as Kamara, who has gone on to have success in the NFL. So I don't know. He's, he's going to be an interesting test case, I think. And people are going to keep an eye on him once the season comes to see, you know, what kind of – like, honestly, if we were talking about Alvin Kamara as, like, a late second day, third day guy, like, I just think it's like, all right, cool. But, like, we're talking about him as the first round. That – I don't know. That's bonkers to me. Yeah. yeah. All right. Next question from our friend Teddy Roosevelt at Gilbrandt Fan one 
Does John Ross's combine put him back into the number one wide receiver conversation? I don't know that he ever left the conversation. Um, I don't know that he is the number one receiver. Uh, you know, I still think it's probably, you know, Corey Davis right now, but um, I don't think he ever left that conversation. And you know what? I, I think he did the smart thing. He ran the 40. He set the record. He dropped the mic. It was like, you know, I'm done here. I mean, it, it certainly, you know, having him cramp up and, and you know, not be 100 percent had a lot to do with that. But, hey, man, he he went out and he showed out and his attitude was, look, you want to know something else? Go back and watch the tape. So um, I think the, the difference is and I spent a lot of time talking to our friend Matt Harmon, who obviously is the, the wide receiver whisperer. Um, and is that all three of those guys are all kind of different players. And so I think, you know, depending on what a team is looking for, will have a lot to do with which one of those guys goes off the board first. And as much as I love John Ross and being a Pac-12 guy myself, um, you know, I love what he does. Uh, I love his ability. My one worry is what does he do when he faces more physical quarters, when he faces a lot of press coverage? Because that was something he didn't see a lot of at Washington. That's just generally because, you know, the Pac-12 is wide open. It's all about, I mean, it's it's almost a seven-on-seven league. That's why I love watching it. But mm-hmm. um, I, I'm just curious what happens to John Ross when he faces some guys who are going to get up on him, who are going to jam him and try to keep him from getting that easy release off the line. But other than that, I mean, I, I think he's still very much in that conversation of being the number one receiver. Yeah, I agree. I mean, the four, I, I really wish uh, he could have run without getting hurt because if he could have hit like that 4-1 range, that would have been absolutely nuts but i know justice you liked him because you were talking you had that that gift yeah. that was uh comparing him to deshaun jackson and both from long beach so when would, yeah. you, would you still take him uh what at 20 29 is that where the packers are drafting green bay green bay's not gonna pick him because he's small that's that's just not what they do but yeah, yeah have, i mean i think they're exactly... small receivers already i think they're kind of done with small dudes <laughs> <laughs> like I, I don't know. I, I, I mean, he's a, he's a value there to me. I mean, I really like John Ross, but like John Ross is like my nightmare, man. Like he's the reason why, why Washington finally beat Oregon after like 12 years. So don't like that, man. Yeah. He's a, he's a bad <laughs> dude, man. He's a bad dude. And like, you can, the, the thing about John Ross that I was super surprised by is like for a small receiver, he gets so many touchdowns and like, he'll, he'll run like that. Like they'll just run like this, basically like the short sluggo, you know what I mean? Where yeah. it's like, he's, he'll play a little game and if he can't get an inside release, then he's just running a fade. And then that's just money for him. Like that's some like Antonio Brown stuff that he does. So I don't know. I'm a big fan of him. I've kind of walked back wide receiver one. I like, I like Corey Davis more. He's better than Mike Williams though. Yeah. He's sure. better than Mike Williams. Right. Reggie Howard also better than Mike Williams. Okay. Had a better combine than him. Okay. Okay. <laughs> uh, okay. Piggybacking off of that from uh at study the tape, what's the earliest you would feel uh, what's the earliest you feel comfortable taking him? In a fantasy draft or a real draft? Both. Let's let's do real draft first. Uh, I mean, I think I think real draft. I think I, I could see him sneaking into the end of the first round. I could see him very late in that first round. Um, you know, I'm not sure. I'd, I'd have to look. I, I don't know if any of the teams down there really have a need for him, but I think he has that kind of value. Uh, fantasy draft wise, I think you're looking at him kind of after. I'd say round. You know, eight or nine, something like that. I mean, I think I think he's a guy who really has potential to come off, uh, you know, a bench in fantasy and be a productive. He's going to be a boomer bust guy. I mean, he's going to have kind of that Deshaun Jackson potential where, like, when he when he hits that ceiling on any given week, it's going to be huge. Um, but he could also, you know, give you the you know, two catches for twenty seven yards games too, which will frustrate the hell out of you. So, um, but I do think his potential, and especially if he lands in the right offense, he'll be a guy that'll get a lot of looks. So I'd say, you know, round probably eight or nine at this point. So in Dynasty, if you were doing a rookie draft, where would you take him? Round one, right? I, I think he's coming off the board first round. Yeah. yeah. So would he be behind, like, Cook and Fournette? Or would it be more based on, like, the team fit after the draft? Um, it probably would have a lot to do with team fit. I mean, I would think I would think he probably still is after a couple of the top running backs just because we are so thirsty for, for quality running backs in fantasy right now. So, you know, with Cook and Fournette out there, with McCaffrey uh, showing out in Indianapolis, uh, I think those guys are going to get a lot more run before you get to a receiver. But I still think John Ross is a first-round guy. Okay. Uh, next question from Ben Natan again. Uh, what is the value of O.J. Howard versus the top wide receiver in this class? Um, I think the I think O.J. Howard has more value just because, again, like tight end is such a shallow position fantasy wise. Um, you know, we were hurting. I mean, you know, for a while it was last few years. It's been all right. Well, you take Gronk and then you wait on somebody else generally. Um, but, you know, the reality is Gronk has 
had problems staying healthy throughout his career. And at, at some point, you have to wonder how much the surgeries and, and all the rehab is going to add up. I mean, he's still a physical specimen. He's still a beast. And, you know, as long as he's healthy, he's still the top tight end in the game. But there's just not a lot of depth at the position. You got him. You got Jordan Reed, who's also very injury prone. You got Greg Olson, who's great. But you wonder about, you know, how productive the Carolina offense is going to be going forward at this point. Um, you know, and then it's kind of a grab bag. You got your your Gary Barnages and your Cameron Brates and, you know, your, your Delaney Walkers, who I love. But um, there's just not that consistency. Meanwhile, wide receiver is deep. I mean, you can you can get a lot of quality. You can play off the waiver wire. You can find guys. So if O.J. Howard is the dude we think he's going to be, um, you know, if Evan Ingram can go out and, and be productive in his first year, I think those guys are going to have a lot of value. I mean, I, I was big on Hunter Henry coming into last season. He turned out to have a really good season. Um, but rookie tight ends generally don't do anything. But if these guys can be the players we think they can be, I think their value goes through the roof. All right, go, Justice. Sing some praise about O.J. Howard. Man, what, what do you want to know? What do you want to know about my boy O.J. Howard? I think legitimately if you use him as like – I tweeted about this and I had like a whole little gift thread and stuff like that because I'm doing like 20 – or like 200-word scouting reports for some of these guys. Um, but like if you use him as a wing tight end, like that dude is perfectly built for a spread offense because he knows how to block across the formation. You can use him as a lead guy. He knows how to do all sorts of like he he'll straight up block like there there's plays where he's shutting he's legitimately shutting down Miles Garrett as a wing pass protector. All right. So we have that because he doesn't have to like he doesn't have to kick back. You know what I mean? Like he's already posted there. All you have to do is just give him a shot and that dude's strong as hell. Um he can I don't th- like you guys talk about how he's kind of like an idiot route runner. And I'm like, man, if you want if you want a receiver, go draft a receiver. He's a tight end. You know what I mean? Like that's where I'm at that's where I'm at with OJ Howard. I think he walks into the NFL as a top ten tight end. Well but I think part of the, the route running thing is just because Alabama kind of kept him in bubble wrap for most of the time. I mean it was like, you know, they they didn't use him much in the pass catching game occasionally. It was like they pretty much only took him out of mothballs for national championship games and the rest of the time, like, you know, he just kind of sat there and didn't do much. So I think part of that is just lack of experience in doing it. I think he gets on the next level if they ask him to be more of that guy. I think he he gets better at it. I mean, you know, uh, yeah, it's that it's that issue of not being asked to do something in college doesn't mean you can't do it. It's just right. you just didn't want you. They didn't want or need you to do that. Right. I think he's going to be super close to Greg Olson, like very early on in his. That's career. the comparison. Yeah, that's the yeah. comp right now. So, I mean, just just kind of looking at it, you know, historically, like Marcus said, rookie tight ends don't really do much. They're rookie. They're rookie year just because you know it's a, there's a lot going on between learning the running game and the passing game and then adjusting to the physicality of the game. So, with that. I guess transition period, get, like give you a little pause if you were drafting in the top half of the first round. Uh, in in fantasy or in the actual draft? In the actual draft. Uh, yeah. I mean, I guess it would. I, I I would be shocked if he goes that high, just because you know. Again, I think I think there's some of these offensive players that that people are looking at and trying to shoehorn into the first round when they don't necessarily need to be, especially when you have the the depth on the defensive side of the ball and like you know obviously I, I haven't studied that one as much as I know you guys have but I know there's there's a lot of quality talent defensively and I think if you're an NFL team why would you take a guy where you're so so on him or you're not sure he can provide for you right away when maybe there's a guy on the defensive side where you're like you know we can plug this guy in and he can be a contributor in year one and you could come around and hopefully get OJ Howard somewhere in the second round so I think that's probably a better fit like I don't know I mean somebody may reach uh, for him in the first round but I just I, I just think if you're waiting on him, you're you're probably better off maybe waiting the day too. What about you, Justice? Bro, I think he can go as high as four as Jacksonville because I don't know what the hell Jacksonville does at four. So Jacksonville needs to work on off. They have like no holes on defense. How are they gonna How are they gonna rationally spend a pick on the defensive side of the ball at four? And then they're sitting at four. They can't. Draft, the they're not gonna draft the quarterback. They're not gonna draft the quarterback. <laughs> There's no offensive lineman to take. So it's either like they're gonna either draft Fournette, Cook, or Howard at four. Like there's really no option unless they trade back. Dude, I think they're going to draft a quarterback. You think? Because they're they're, they're, they're they're interested in Tony Romo. So I mean, Coffin is not obviously not sold on Bortles, and that's you can't you can't well you can't get Tony Romo because Tony like that team's still an offensive line away from being a quarterback away. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. So they can't they can't land Romo, but like it would not like if they just we're taking Watson. Yeah. You know so that's what I'm saying. Like if they're interested in Romo, and I mean they're yeah. not going to get him. Why not? Why wouldn't that? Uh, why why can't they take a quarterback at four then? Or why not? Why not try to trade back and get yourself get some offensive line help? I mean, look, Bortles. Bortles obviously is not. Sucks. You know, 
Okay, yes. <laughs> I'm not trying to be diplomatic about it, but yeah, sucks. Um, so why not? Why not? But why not build an offensive line at least to put around him and hope that maybe, maybe at least he gets a little bit better. You know, maybe you can get him to be more serious in the offseason, too. That that would be a big deal. But um, at least do something to like help the dude out. Like, obviously, you built your defense. Let's figure out what to do on offense. True. Yeah. What's one of your like favorite? Uh, I guess mid or late round guys like for the real draft that that you like. Uh, I mean, I'm I'm in love with Kareem Hunt. Um, I know that that hive is growing by by, by the by the day, and I I try not to talk about him too much because I want him to be my fantasy sleeper. Like I don't want too many people to know about him because then like I I'm not gonna get him in drafts and then I'm gonna be butt hurt. So I but I love that. <laughs> I remember, like, you know, seeing some stuff on Twitter about Kareem Hunt, this or that, so I went and put on the tape, and, like, literally, like, three plays in, I'm like, yep, yep, love this dude, love love everything about him, so that's that's a guy I'm keeping my eye on, for real. Yeah, he uh, he he grew a lot of buzz at the Senior Bowl, but, uh, yeah. I mean, he had, a, he had a nice week of practice, and he played well in the game, but if I remember correctly, and I don't, because I'm an idiot, he didn't have a great combine. It was not great. Mm-mm. No, it was not. It was it was pretty pretty run of the mill. But you know, I didn't expect him to have a great combine. I mean, he's not one of those guys who you don't look at him and say that like, there's one great thing he does. But I think he's very good at a lot of different things. So the fact that he didn't necessarily test out as super athletic didn't really surprise me. I just think he's one of those dudes who understands the game and understands what his role is. And it's just you know, he's just instead of being great at any one thing, I think he's just very good at a lot of different things. Yeah. Any receivers that you uh, that you like for the mid or late rounds? Um, I think I feel like after the top three or four guys, I feel like it's sort of a, a grab bag. The guy that I'm, I'm just most intrigued by, I can't say like or dislike, but just intrigued by is Zay Jones, because, yes. uh, you know, do put up. Do put up video game numbers, obviously, but watching him, it was a lot of, you know, a lot of screen, a lot of bubble screens, a lot of slants, a lot of short stuff. So I wasn't sure what he really could do. But then, you know, at the senior bowl, he makes a couple of like ridiculous catches. Then he goes and tests like a beast at the uh, at the combine. So like, I just I don't know, man, he has he has me scratching my head. Like, I'm really just watching this dude because I, I don't I don't know what to expect from Zay Jones. But, man, I'm intrigued. I can say that. He's super interesting because, like, so I don't really watch these, like, I don't watch, like, outside, like, a top 50, you know, like, receivers until, like, after the combine, basically. But we were down at the Senior Bowl when we were watching uh, practices and, like, when they go to team reps. I mean, it was pretty hard to ignore Zay Jones. He was a guy who kind of got some hype at the Senior Bowl. Um, I didn't really watch him until after the combine when I've, I've run these. I Actually, we could plug this. Uh, I've been running, like, Ted Thompson, basically, like, tendencies on uh, settingtheedge.com. Uh, on our little blog thing. Um, not doing anything? What's up? What, not not doing anything? <laughs> Waiting for your, fan, like your fans bugging you to actually do something? Like, that's what you're doing? Yeah. What? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but basically, like, Zay Jones is one of the few receivers who, like, fit the kind of mold that they want. And I went back and watched him. And, like, I watched the Virginia Tech game. And the Virginia Tech game, I'm scratching my head being like, how do you guys not think this guy was athletic? Like, he, he's, like, running down the sideline just beating these guys. So, uh I, I guess that's that's the probably the game to watch because you're you're right like they were using him basically as like college Jarvis Landry, right, <laughs> right. That's a, that's a perfect description. He was he was college Jarvis Landry. So yeah. yeah. All right, one more question that's a little bit different from football, but I promise I'll get it in from right. our good pal, fourteen team mocker. Uh, oh. Yeah, love mocker. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> how do you uh, how do you get past people who are indifferent or outright hateful in a professional setting, not just intentionally either, but people who don't realize what they say and how bad what they say actually is. Yeah. I, I basically, what I do is I tend to just limit my contact with those people. Um, <laughs> yeah, because we all, we all know those people. We all work with them somewhere. They all, they're all in our lives. So, you know, because you are in a professional setting and chances are you can't fully avoid them. Um, I just minimize the amount of contact I have with them. Um, you know, it, it's, it's limited to, you know, good morning. It's limited to, you know, strictly work-based, con- work-based conversations. And it's like a, Hey, I'll see you tomorrow sort of thing. I mean, like, I, yeah, I'm just, I, I'm loathe to engage with them on a personal level. Uh, I generally have some sort of excuse handy for why I cannot, you know, socialize with that person mm-hmm. outside. Of work. I mean, it, 
it really is just the bare minimum of conversation when it comes to that. It, it also helps that I, you know, where I work, I can throw in earbuds and turn on some music and generally pretend that you're not standing next to me. So uh, that goes a long way toward helping out. Yeah, I mean, just like, I mean, with, you know, the election and that guy in office, I just feel like like a voice has been given to people who are hateful. And sometimes, you know, you see that running up your Twitter feed, too. So it's just kind of weird. Like, like I feel, you know, it's kind of like a tension with because uh, football culture can be very militaristic, I guess. And I, mm-hmm. I, I think some of those views kind of line up with. I guess anti-progressive ideals. So when you when you see stuff like that in your timeline, like people you read and interact with, it's it's kind of weird. Yeah, I mean, I know you know the the day after the election in in the NFL media newsroom was a weird one. I mean, it was it was eerily quiet, um, especially for it to have been. You know, it's it's in season. It was November. The football season was still very much going on. Um, but for it to be a Wednesday in, in early November, it was eerily quiet in our newsroom. And there was just this, just kind of this weird awkwardness and uncomfortability. And, you know, I think most people there, um, you know, I think probably voted for Hillary. I mean, I can't, I, you know, I haven't taken a poll, but I, I would guess that most people probably did. But, you know, there were a few that went the other way. And a lot of those people, um, you know, we knew, you know, people knew who went the other way <laughs> yeah. in that election, you know, and and so it was like uh, the one side didn't want to say much because they were just disappointed about how the results went out. The the other side, I think, kept quiet because uh, they knew folks weren't in a mood to really chat about it. You know, it wasn't like, you know, it wasn't like it, it was like, man, this was wow, this was really tough and whatever. It was just like people just don't want to talk. And so it was really awkward and really uncomfortable. And I think. You know, I think well, I know for a fact that there have been some instances where there are people who were, you know, at least cordial to each other who no longer speak because it just it was really hard. I mean, the, the whole run up to it, a year or so leading up to it was, you know, it was acrimonious. And, and there are a lot of things said and thought and whispered that uh, on both sides, it just really rubbed people the wrong way. And I think, you know, I don't know that that you know, there are some relationships that have ever been repaired and some that will probably never, ever be repaired because of it. Yeah, it's it's hard when you you're friends with somebody and you know that they just voted completely against your own interests. Yeah, I mean, you know, Facebook uh, Facebook ruined a lot of lives in the last year and a half. <laughs> I know that, man. Yeah, I was so I, I don't have my Facebook, and I was so glad during this uh, during this election. Like, I would I would see my my friends scrolling through their timelines, and it'd just be a disaster. Like. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I, I kind of backed off of Facebook because it got to a, it gets to a point now where I look at Facebook and um, they're generally one of two things. It's it's posts that are going to make me angry or it's posts that I just really don't give a shit about. So like, <laughs> you're not you trying know, to see these Alex Jones videos, bro. You're not trying to see uh, these man. Alex Jones videos. I'm not seeing Alex Jones videos. I'm not. I, look, I'm not seeing pictures of cats. I don't really care about the soup you had last night. Like, I just none of it. None of it. I'm just over it all. Yeah. So. <laughs> all right. Well, we're at about 30 minutes. Thank you for coming on. Do you have anything that you want to plug that you're working on that's going to be released in the next few weeks? Um, you know what? I mean, we're still doing a lot of, you know, free agency content there. Uh, you know, we'll be doing stuff uh, leading up to the draft. Alex Gelhar and myself still uh, kind of banging out stuff about some of these prospects. We'll be doing a big kind of prospect release uh, coming up in a couple of weeks at the at the end of the month. Uh, otherwise, you know, find me on Twitter, Marcus G. Uh, M-A-R-C-A-S, by the way, G. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm on more social, social media networks than is probably healthy between, you know, Twitter and Snapchat and Instagram and still do a professional Facebook page. Um, so that's that. Otherwise, oh, I do. I, I want to get this in because I, I got to say, Chuck, because it's like I, I appreciate and empathize with you. Being a Falcons fan, oh, no. because <laughs> no, no, because see, what happened, like, is that you took the focus off the fact that my Golden State Warriors blew a three-one lead in the NBA Finals. So <sighs> I, I empathize and appreciate the situation that you are in as a Falcons fan. Uh, I don't, I don't want to <laughs> talk about the Super Bowl. <laughs> All right, so get out of here. No, but uh, thank you for uh, for coming on. We'll be back next week with our pals Mark Schofield and Derek Klassen for a quarterback extravaganza. See you guys then.